Abolition. 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 How dare you come to St. Louis and say you've got the back of that lousy bitch, State's Attorney Kim Gardner. She is just like you. That's why birds of a feather, bitches. That's what you are. You hate cops. You hate white people. You do everything you can to give all the blacks who are criminals every benefit of the doubt. And everybody else is suspect. Black lives only matter when a white person takes it. You blacks can kill each other all you want. In fact, I think that's the grand solution. We need to start driving around the ghettos and just dropping boxes of bullets on every street corner. Let them take each other out. Things were much better in this world, in this country, when everybody stayed in their own goddamn neighborhood by dusk. There's only one thing worse than a fat-ass, empowered black woman. That's a fat-ass, empowered black woman who's got public reins in her hands. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. How many rounds of ammunition does it take to kill a solitary alien? Once to the body, pops twice to the cranium. It's been 20 years since humanity gave up. Letting these alien freaks take over and enslave us. Used to be scared of us. Now they want to bury us. We are the resistance. Move. Secure the area. Just to be in the shadows, but now we ready for war. Retaliation is the key, so we gotta settle the score. X-Con. We neutralize the enemy, the last line of defense against tyranny. The advent's a bunch of punk signing treaties. We got a turn-based strategy to battle these ETs. Loading cocky, hold us fight, throw a bombing, go with bombing. No more plotting, we about to get into position. We know they watching, no more talking. We not falling, we not stopping. Guns are popping, bodies dropping. We are the resistance. Loading cocky, hold us fight, throw a bombing, go with popping. No more plotting, we about to get into position. We know they watching, no more talking. We not falling, we not stopping. Guns are popping, bodies dropping. We are the resistance. Meet up at the rendezvous. Yeah, you better run fast. Get into position and get ready for a bloodbath These genetic freaks think that they can use me Pull out the blade, now we sex toy sushi Hit him with a missile, yeah, we got him shaking now Don't stop till hostiles are taken down Serpentine soldier, guns out the holster If they get a hold of you, knock them off the shoulder Fire in the hole, baby, we about to blow the roof up Time is running out, maybe we ought to start a shoot-up Keep blasting, no matter if you hit him or not Cause the sharpshooter will hit him with a critical shot if you run out of ammo, then tag him with a melee We got him running, probably got him hollering, made it A human that fights back, oh yeah, it does exist The Advent Coalition can kiss my buddy fist Loading cocky, hold a spot, throw a bomb and go and pop it No more plotting, we about to get into position We know they watching, no more talking, we not falling, we not stopping Guns are popping, bodies dropping, we are the resistance Loading cocky, hold a spot, throw a bomb and go and pop it No more plotting, we about to get into position We know they watching, no more talking, we not falling we're not stopping because the popping bodies dropping. We are the resistance. When you're talking about waging war on police, let's talk about being accountable and making we sure we deal with the, 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 the issues we're talking about right now that led to the unfortunate death of Mr. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, Orlando Castillo, Mike Brown, and many others. Abolition. 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 You just heard the racist rant sent to Baltimore State's attorney, Marilyn Mosby. And that was followed by XCOM 2 rap, We Are the Resistance, Nerd Out, and also the reply from State uh, St. Louis Attorney General Kim Garner. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today. 
a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archive podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcasts or all major streaming platforms and also now on Amazon Music. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, and in the famous words of the brother on um, the movie They, I am here to kick bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm fresh out of bubblegum. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, you know... You know those two tracks right there always get me going. You know, just mm-hmm. you know, we play that clip or a, a sec a, a snippet from it all the time, and then the XCOM too. You know, I love that. But uh, yeah, let's get to it. So last week we we did a deep dive into the term and practice of involuntary servitude. What is it? How it works? Who it applies to? Why it's even legal? And how it's simultaneously illegal? for every other nation in the world except the U.S. So in advance of the May 5th press conference in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for HB 211, we're joined by Jamelia Land from California and Curtis Davis, Louisiana, both of whom will be on deck. And we call this Louisiana, the 2023 remix. Jamelia is co-director of state operations for the Abolished Slavery National Network, a lead advocate for the California Abolition Act, and a board member of the March On Foundation. Curtis is the executive director of Decarcerate Louisiana, co-director of state operations for Abolished Slavery National Network, and author of Slave State, Evidence of Apartheid in America. And as always, we'll have amazing music mixes and also bring the words of our abolitionist ancestors back to life. So before we jump into tonight's topics, uh, Max, you have any additional comments on the opening track? And also, how was your week, bro? Um, well, for the track, you know, that's one of my favorites uh, to hear. For like sure. you said, it, it fires me up. You know, how many how many hits does it take to kill a solitary alien? Once to the abdomen, twice to the cranium. Twice to the it's cranium. 20 years since humanity gave up. And let these aliens take over and enslave us, and and that's what we're hearing. This alien uh, talking about, you know, black women, and, and you know, it's not limited to black women. But if you can send an sure, anonymous sure. message like that to a, a state's attorney, um, that is just outlandish. But that's how they feel. That's what we're up against, and that's why we are the resistance right here. Uh, my week has been pretty hectic. Uh, you know a little bit of it. You know, uh, we're moving farther and farther into the season where the bills are getting submitted um, and we mm-hmm. have to do testimony. As a matter of fact, uh, tomorrow is the testimony for Louisiana. And then uh, on the 5th, we'll be out there, myself and Jamelia and Curtis, to do the press release for it, uh, along with others. Uh, we got our bill submitted in, uh, well, in uh, North Carolina, but it ran into some mm-hmm. problems and we're trying to work it out. Uh, and in Ohio, uh, our representatives there, I met with them some days past, and uh, they have put their bill together, and it's ready to be introduced. So it's a real busy season 
for getting these bills in. And there's good news out of California, but I'll leave it for Jamilia to tell us about that. Uh, so with that said, sure. let's go ahead and bring in our guest. Uh, Jamilia, press one on your keypad, if you don't mind. Uh, we got Curtis Davis looks on like the line. What's happening, Brother Curtis? Welcome back to Abolition okay. Today. And As always, got... it's, it's love and, and friendship, man, family. I Thank you for giving me an uh, opportunity to let the nation know what's going on here in Louisiana. Amen, brother. You know, it's home away from home for you. And we got Jamelia uh, on deck as well. What's happening, Sister Jamelia? Hey, good evening, everyone. Um, good evening. Man. Good evening. Yes, it's always a pleasure to be here amongst family. Yes, sure. the two of For you sure. have, been, uh, have instru- been instrumental in telling the story on Abolition Today of what's going on. Uh, last year, we had you both come in for Louisiana Love and uh, working together on getting it done there. And this year, I look, I look at you guys, Louisiana and California, as leaders of this movement that are, are really have the, among the best chance to get this done. As a matter of fact, you got some good news from just a couple of days ago, right, Jermaine? I do, I do. So um, our bill, ACA 8, the End Slavery in California Act, uh, successfully passed through the California State Assembly's Public Safety Committee with a unanimous vote. So we are on all that. That's right. That's right. Yes, unanimous. Uh, everybody said yes to ending involuntary slavery in the state of California. And, you know, we went really deep into that involuntary slavery last, or involuntary servitude last week. Um, and my man, Curtis, tomorrow you got, oh, man, you got to strike that iron real quick, huh, while it's hot. They didn't give you much time, did you? That's the nature of the beast here in Louisiana. Um they they play the game like basketball or football. You can run out the clock or you can, um, you know, hurry up offense on somebody to make sure that the defense isn't properly um, set to get things done. But um, my team is ready here in Louisiana. We are um, very optimistic about our, um, our, our hearing tomorrow. We believe that the people of Louisiana want to do something about the past injustices that have happened to black people and marginalized people. And I am confident that we should get out of committee and get ready for a full vote in the house and the Senate so that the people of Louisiana can finally decide whether or not in an intelligent way, in a knowing way that they want their state to continue to practice this, um, hundred some odd year old, um, exception clause, um, language and, letting our people deal with what we're dealing with. And we'll talk more about it in the show. But, yeah, I think that we need all of y'all prayers to make sure that we push this through tomorrow. Amen, brother. Uh, For those that don't know, um, you got the whole state operations uh, executive board here today, Uh, myself, Jamilia, (laughs) and Curtis Davis. So not only are they doing their states, but they're deeply involved in helping other states to get theirs passed as well. Uh, working along my side, myself, in state operations. Uh, as a matter of fact, let's talk a little bit about, about who we have on the line today. Uh, we've already told them that you are the executive director of Decarcerate Louisiana and co-director uh, of state operations. 
You're also an author and an activist that's been involved in a number of constitutional bills. You want to tell us about that, Curtis? Yes, sir. Um, First and foremost, I started this journey in 1990 when I was falsely accused of committing a second-degree murder here in Louisiana. I was in Compton, California, riding down the street, picking up my brother to take him shopping. All of a sudden, helicopters, um, um, Linwood Sheriff's officers came and done what we'll call a felony arrest. Um, The same thing you might have seen and set it off when they um, attacked Queen Latifah's character. Uh, So... I was like, wow, what did I do to um, deserve this type of treatment? I was, um, you know, arrest, arrested, subsequently extradited to California, um, from California to Louisiana, where I um, went through my, my proceedings. I went through a, a 12-man jury, got found guilty by a, a vote of 10 to 2, um, and that was the only state in the United States besides Oregon that you can actually um, be convicted with a non-unanimous jury or the gold standard of jury that's something less than a unanimous jury, right? So um, I was flown here. It was like I was transported at least 200 years back in time. I went to a, a, a former slave breeding plantation known as Angola Prison. It's 18,000 acres of prison farmland, and it is the largest penitentiary land-wise on the planet Earth. But the whole system was about a continuation of the practice of chattel slavery um, transformed into a more legalized system where they were able to use my labor, the labor of any um, young man, boy, girl, that they can find um, because the, the law basically states that slavery and involuntary servitude are abolished except in the latter case as a punishment for a crime. That's how the, the language reads here. So that was a compromise between, you know, those uh, former Southern planters who had so much to lose after the Civil War to say, man, you just can't not let the blacks have their way. We have to have a way to control the pecking order here and keep people in their place. That's the historical way of understanding it. So they they um, put this um, institutionalized racism inside of the, um, the, the roots of the constitutional system, saying basically that slavery over unless we can convict you of a crime. So you know our neighborhoods are the ones that are targeted. So blacks are going to be disproportionately placed back back into slavery. And it's a trip that most people don't even know that this exists. They think, what y'all mean um, that slavery still exists? And I'm always telling people happy Juneteenth, but slavery still legal. You know, that's that's the, uh, that's the, the... the hallmark of what we do nationally to let everybody know that you've been duped. Like Malcolm X said, you've been hoodwinked, you've been bamboozled. You know, this slavery is still real and people are making a whole lot of money off the backs of our people. Basically, that's where I'm at right now, man. Thank you, brother. Uh, You spent 26 years on a prison plantation that was once a slave plantation, literally, in the field, picking cotton. I remember you told me a story one day 
that they expect you to go to the bathroom in the fields while you're out there, like you're some kind of animal, and you would have to do that. That That's was amazing. the thing that, that this is this people think that this is all about labor, Max, Jamila, um, uh, Yusuf. They say, man, well, we want to make sure that our people still can work. Well, why y'all trying to change the laws? Because when you have these laws in place, they can put you on a level that's something beneath human decency, right? Yes. Um, one of the stories that I like to tell a whole lot is that because I'm a rebellious person, I was a part of the resistance even when I was a slave. And I, I, I make no bones about that. Yes, I was legally a slave. So I'm not going to play with myself and say, no, nah, I wasn't no slave. Yes, I was a slave. But while I was a slave in Angola, I, um, I broke my foot. I dropped a 25-pound dumbbell on my foot. Couldn't make me go to pick the cotton because I had a medical excuse. Well, they had something for me. They said that because you broke your foot, it's an institutional policy that says you're destroying state property. Mm -hmm. And that was the realest thing that they had ever said to me. The guns didn't matter. The bars didn't matter. Once they made me really understand that they owned me, that's when I came to the realization that I must be free from this and I have to destroy this system. Right. Um, Sister Jamil, right. Um you have a rich story, too. Uh, as I've mentioned, you are also co-director of state operations. Um, you are one of the founding members of the Abolish Slavery National Network, as well as a board member on the March on Foundation and a lead advocate for the ACA 8 Abolition Act. Uh, you want to tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about yourself and uh, whatever else you might want to add to it? You know, that is always the question that I dread attempting to answer. Uh, <laughs> I know how you feel. Because, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm just Junoya at the end of the day. Um, just trying my best to be a humble vessel to do that, which I believe God has called me to be able to do. So a lot of the work that I do is, you know, just directly involved with the people, whether it's, you know, community gun violence or officer-involved shootings um, or, you know, Exonerated Indian life slavery. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, all, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. So as you all know, recently um, my cousin Anisha Godfrey um been fighting for the past few years um, to bring her husband Ricky home. Ricky was wrongfully convicted of uh, a murder, and he served 31 years in prison for that, um, and he was released last Friday, I want to say. Um, you know, my son is currently serving three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole for a triple homicide that he didn't commit. Um, I'm working closely with my good sister friend, uh, Brontina Smith, out of Alabama. Shout out to Brontina and her son, Lakeith. Uh, Lakeith was convicted at the age of 15 and sentenced to 65 years in the Alabama Department of Corrections for a murder that a police officer committed. Um, <clears throat> you did hear that right. Uh, Alabama is another one of those states with egregious felony murder legislation. Um, and so last week, actually, it's been so much, last week we, Fontina and I, officially launched 
the National Coalition to End Felony Murder, where we are now um, seeking to um, similarly build uh, this national coalition, such as we have here with the Abolish Slavery National Network, where we are now working with uh, individual states that have felony murder legislation on their books that we are now seeking to abolish. Um, you know, um, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, so last night I had the honor of hosting the 31st Annual uh, African Peace Awards at a university, Sacramento, um, awesome. where, yeah, yeah, where there were, uh, there were people from all over, from Sierra Leone, from Nigeria, from Ghana. Uh, it was, uh, it was just absolutely amazing, um, you know, and to really understand how far back this goes, listening to them talk about uh, what's happening on the continent um, and being reminded just how close to this we all really are. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we are dealing with the ramifications here in the United States of what slavery has done. Um, but it really sparked the thought for me last night about the ramifications of what slavery has done to the motherland and how it, it, it is it, it's impacting them to this day you know, and impacting us. And so we have a lot of work ahead of us. Um, Like, you know, my brother Curtis here said, uh, you know, when he made mention of the the realization that you are state property, um, it's very real. People don't believe that slavery still exists in this country, but it does. Um, And I think that when people become more aware of how slavery truly works in this country and how we are all tied and connected to it in some form or fashion, that there are products that we consume on an everyday basis that are produced inside of these facilities that our, that our loved ones are, are confined to. Um, and so, you know, I really, um, I'm, I'm glad that this year we've been able to bring ACA, uh, this year's eight, last year was three, be able to bring it back. Um, and I am really, really hopeful that this year we are not only successful in passing it in California, but Louisiana and the other states that are, um, you know, going to be on the ballot as well. So, you know, it's not easy being also an impacted person. You know, you don't have to just be that person that serves time to be directly impacted by it. Uh, our families all know it. There's like a bill that they're putting together right now, the Department of Justice, uh, for instance, where they they want to take out as much as 80% of anything that is put on people's books in order to pay for yeah. restitution and fines and fees, which means they're not punishing those people who have been convicted or are now inmates. They're punishing the family members because if you're sending from the outside the money in, that means that, you know, you know, of course, Jamelia, how much – they was already taken out like 50%. Now it's going to be 80%. Uh, so it's basically well, robbing you know, the family members. Well, see, that that's a part of the conversation that people don't want to have, right? The overall cost of mass incarceration. Um, we, we, we have to look at, like here in California, right? They take 
50% for what they call restitution and then 5% administrative fees. But that 50% that they're taking that they say is restitution is actually broken down into various components. And like something like 30% of that is what they factor in for what they consider like housing or lodging costs, right? And so to put it in perspective, my husband's last job uh, was a healthcare facility maintenance worker where he made uh, 74 cents per hour, right? He served 24 years. When he initially went in, he was given a restitution bill <coughs> excuse me, that stated he owed, you know, a little over $36,000. Well, after serving 24 years, about two months after his release, he received a bill in the mail from the California Franchise Tax Board said that he owed over, you know, 800 and some change. So put that in perspective, he was incarcerated, employed for 24 years, taking anywhere from zero cents an hour to a max of 74 cents an hour, where they were taking 55%. And during the course of that time, he couldn't pay $2,000 of restitution. So they hit him with this bill and say, hey, you owe, you know, almost $34,000 in restitution, and you have 10 days to pay it. If you don't, we will garnish and levy any and everything with your name and Social Security number attached to it. Welcome home. Yeah, oh, you're going to be on parole, and we're going to, you know, you're valued at about $55,000 a year while you're on parole. It's crazy. Um, there is a, I want to play a track, as a matter of fact, next, but before I do that, I, I want to give a heads up that just yesterday, in collaboration with the uh, Just Leadership USA, which is a partner of the ASNN, an organization by the name of Just Us Coordinating Council, JCC, was at the White House lawn with a strategy they put together where they're demanding $10 billion uh, to comprehensively and sustainably fund reentry and workforce development initiatives within the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, First Step Act, Second Chance Act, and other policies. And that's one of the things that we certainly need is help for these people who are getting out uh, after being institutionalized. Right. And they treat them the same way they did when they allegedly set the slaves free. Uh, you free, get the hell out, no money, no land, no help, no therapy, no nothing. No counseling, all of it, right. To be able to succeed with nothing. As a matter of fact, the whole system was against them, and they expected them to succeed. So let's go ahead and get into this track. <clears throat> this is Brother Curtis Davis, along with some spoken word by one of, if not the greatest spoken word artist who has ever lived, Gil Scott Haran with Angola. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parkes and Yusuf Hassan. Our guest today is Curtis Davis out of Louisiana and Jamelia Land out of California. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. 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 Where did you serve your time? I served my time in um, Louisiana State Penitentiary, better known as Angola. Um, It's probably the largest uh, maximum security prison in the United States of America. 
it is definitely the last penal colony on the planet Earth. A penal colony is a place that you send people away to go in order to die, not just to do time. Ninety-seven percent of the people that are incarcerated in Angola are actually going to die there as a result of their incarceration. We call it death by incarceration. Instead of getting a lethal injection or electric chair or firing squad or hanging, they use the system, the actual time, in order to grind you down until grind you die. You down until you die.
Abolition. Abolition. You just heard an interview with our guest tonight, Curtis Davis, along with the track Gil Scott Heron, Angola. And just listening to those lyrics, you know, when he says, I've been painting a picture of Angola, Louisiana, down in St. Charles Parish where the sun won't go alone. I, it's, then he says, yeah, but injustice is not confined to Angola, Louisiana. It could end up in your living room. That's so deep right there. Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parthas, Yusuf Hassan, and our guest this evening, Jamelia Land and Curtis Davis. Uh, Curtis, I want to pass a question to you because he's talking about Gary Tyler in there, and I know you did time with Gary uh, could you enlighten the listeners on who Gary Tyler is, is and the significance of his story? Definitely. Um, during um, the early, like, I'm going to say uh, the late or early 1960s, um, late 1950s, Gary Tyler was 16 years, years old. 74. And 1974. What, what year was it? 1974. 1974 I'm sorry. 74. Cool. Um, so they were, I mean, that was when Jim Crow was at its height in uh, the state of Louisiana. And Gary was um, accused at that time of committing a murder. Um, I think it was had something to do with a school bus. I don't remember the particulars, but I do know Gary personally. And at this time, you know, sending children to prison um, with death sentences, um, with, with life sentences that you have to do the rest of your life in prison, and you're a 16-year-old accused of a situation of a clearly racist parish, clearly racist sheriff, racist district attorney. This is not an opinion. This is fact, historical fact. We now know for sure that the white people of that time were um, judicially predatory and weaponizing the legal system against any um, African-American, black, Negro, um, boy, girl, woman, child in order to um, fulfill the, 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 the plan that they had to perpetually marginalize black people. So I first met Gary um, when I went to Angola. He was in charge of an organization called the Drama Club. And he had taken his time since he was – you know, there for so long. I got there in 1992. So Gary had already been there for almost 20 years, uh, over 20 years uh, or something mm-hmm. like that. But he gave me a lot of um, mentorship. I started acting. I learned how to write screenplays under Gary. I learned how to articulate, enunciate, um, push a message with my voice. I learned how to have um, patience because he was one of the most patient men that I had ever met because of the situation, because a person um, either goes to prison and uses it as a womb to develop, nurture, and grow, or a tomb as somewhere to lay down and die. And Gary was using that as an opportunity to nurture himself, to develop himself, and he helped develop me and other young men around me because at the time 
country. Um, Angola was considered the bloodiest prison in the United States of America. So, I mean, Gary eventually got out of prison, and he's out here now doing um, um, the work that we do. But when I heard the song just now, it almost brought tears to my eyes to think about what we had to go through in order to get here and the trauma and the scars, the psychological scars that this white supremacy system has left us with. His story is um, is just amazing. You know, in 74, they had this formerly all-white Destrahan High School out in St. Charles Parish. Uh, and 20 years after Board of Brown versus Board of Direction, Board of Education, they were integrating black mm-hmm. twins, so they were busing them. And in October of 1974, he was 16 years old. He's on the bus taking him back to his um, neighborhood, and it was like 100 to 200 whites, mostly students, that were really upset about the integration, and they started assaulting the people on the bus. A 13-year-old boy ended up getting shot, and another one was uh, wounded, um, and he later died. Well, actually, only one died, the 13-year-old boy. The police picked him out because he talked, dared to talk back to a police officer when, you know, this all-white police coming in and beating on these black children to find out who killed this 13-year-old boy. So they brutally beat him until he confessed. And then he spent 41 years in freaking prison, starting from 16 years old as a child. And the law stated in the manslaughter case, it was a maximum of 21. And yet they kept him for over 40 years in this uh, prison. Eventually, he was freed, as you said. But many people believe that he was set up and framed for this, that he was never guilty. They never found a gun. And the uh, confession he made was after being brutally beaten by this police. Yeah, but clearly he was convicted by an all-white jury as well. And this was in mm-hmm. Louisiana. Right. So, you know, the railroading by white supremacists is real. It's very real. And today we see that represented through our um, through our attorney generals and uh, district attorneys, where 95 percent of elected district attorneys are white and 83 percent of those are white men. And like, how can we find any kind of racial justice? It's, it's breeding ground for racism, you know. Uh, Jamelia, you want to chime in on any of that? You know, my blood was over here boiling as I'm listening to you. Um, Yeah, well, you know, like here in California, um, first, let me go go back and say, um, you know, again, Brother Curtis, um, you know, I commend you for continuing to be on the front line, you know, and, and, and fight for the brothers that were left behind, right, and for sharing and telling their stories and their truths to those of us who may never know otherwise. Um, you know, here in California, um, we're, you know, we're one of the largest carceral states in the Union, um, and we have a history here. People want to believe that California entered the Union as a free state, and though that's how it may have appeared on on paper, we were never a free state. We're not a free state now. We have over 70 factories built into our prisons here. Um, The first governor of the state of California uh, believed that California should be, in fact, a slaveholding state. We were one vote away 
from being a slaveholding state. But most importantly, the mindset of the people who came to California and helped structure the system that currently stands, including the state legislature. So, for example, there was a man by the name of James Madison Estelle. He uh, was one of the first legislators here in California just 10 weeks into our statehood, and he came from another state where he brought his quote-unquote property with him. He was also awarded the first contract for a prison here in California. And so San Quentin State Prison was actually built as a kind of a monument to this legislator who was, in fact, a slaveholder himself, who later then, you know, went on to other areas of politics in California, just as the first governor did. You know, he became a judge. Um, And so when we talk about uh, uh, history and slavery here, you know, one, I I want people to understand that it's not just something that was rooted in the deep south, that it did in fact spread out to places such as California, that we are not as progressive as a state as um, the rest of the country would like to believe that we are. Because last year alone, you know, California voted against ending legalized slavery. Um, and and then we turn around, and so like this year, um, our governor is looking at turning San Quentin, which is that very facility that was built uh, in recognition of this legislator. Um, he, he wants to turn it into a rehabilitative center uh, for California as like its premier place, right, based upon the Norwegian uh, model of incarceration. And, you know, I, I feel certain ways about that. One, because we know the history of San Quentin and how mm-hmm. California legislators have been directly tied to it. Um, but also, you know, um, I we're not talking about the root here, right, and the root of slavery that the people in Norway don't look like the people on this phone call. The, the, the people in right. Norway, they, they don't have the same psychologically indoctrinated way of believing and othering one another. They don't see one another's skin as a mere, um, uh, you know, that you're criminal just because of the complexion of your skin. And so, you know, though I, I, I you know, I think certain things can be good ideas if implemented certain ways. I also think that we have to be realistic about where we are. And California has been just as vested in um, upholding, you know, legalized slavery and and, and subsequently the institution of um, white supremacy. You know, we have a board here. We have a, we have an organization called CalPIA, California Prison Industry Authority. CalPIA has a board. The board is structured like a corporation. You all heard me say this before. And the corporate and the board has a chair. The chair of the board is also the secretary of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation and is appointed by the governor. Now, CalPIA also can only go into contractual agreements with other government entities, such as the Department of Transportation, Department of Health and Human Services, so forth and so on. So basically our our state government is the one that is really profiting 
off of slave forced slave labor um and so you know these are these are things that people don't realize people don't know that when when you go into the hospitals when you go into government buildings when you go into banks when you go into schools that the seating and the tables and you know the partitions and the, the arms for the, the mechanical arms for the monitors and cubicles, uh, street signs, the little reflectors. So many products are produced in these prisons. We have slaughterhouses. We produce eggs, milk, cheese, bread, you name it, in these facilities. But our loved ones don't have direct access to it. Um, you know, and the government is, is profiting off of it. And then there's that element of, you know, and, and again, this is not about wages. I always find myself having to say that in these conversations because, you know, we have seen how people will hijack the narrative of what this really is. This is about ending legalized constitutional slavery. This is about humanizing a demographic of people that the Constitution still says we are three-fifths of human beings for purposes of representation and a socially constructed entity that we would like to call a democracy, but it's merely more of a corporate capitalist society that puts profit over people every day. And, you right. know, we are the commodity. Our lives are the commodity. Mm-hmm. Black lives have never had any value in this country unless we were tied to an economic engine that we didn't profit from. And so that's what we're really dealing with. It's a California's prison systems is one of those things that they also consider too big to fail. For instance, uh, from what we understand, just being incarcerated in a prison in California, the taxpayer is paying over a hundred thousand dollars, one hundred and six thousand dollars to be exact. And presently, thirty-three state prisons, there's one hundred and twenty-two thousand four hundred and seventeen inmates in there right now. You know what that generates? Thirteen billion dollars a year as an industry. And that's not counting the external industries that live and die based on your prison population. But just right. for the prison inmates to keep them there is thirteen billion dollars a year. You couldn't spend that in your lifetime. <laughs> you know what I mean? So And then the, there's also the economic infrastructure of the towns that these these prisons are in. For example, Susanville has a prison, and they were talking about shutting down Susanville um, for a variety of reasons, and then guess what? They started They started to have conversations about literally paying reparations to the city of, of Susanville because of the econo- economic loss that they would take if the prison shut down. Wow. Yes. We've seen that happen across the country because when they do shut down, like they did in Texas, one of the prisons shut down there, the city could no longer exist. It was so dependent on the prisons that without the prisons, there was nothing for them to have or do and no revenue to come in. We've seen that in Alabama. It's how it is in California, and it's how it is in Louisiana as well. Um, with that said, I want to go back over to Brother Curtis. Uh, Curtis, where do we stand right now on the bill? It's HB 211, right? Yes, sir. HB 211. Yeah, well, right now, our, our language on the bill basically would change um, what the current language says of um, slavery and involuntary servitude or 
um, abolished except in the latter case as uh, uh, punishment for a crime to slavery and involuntary servitude are abolished, period, right, with the the period, the little dot at the end. And a lot of people last year we lost. Um, last year we won. We came through the committee um, by a, a hair, and then we um, had a unanimous um, House vote, and we had a unanimous Senate vote. But what we learned is that our ballot language confused the voting populace um, of the state of Louisiana, and they didn't understand what they were voting for. Some of the work that we've done at Abolish Slavery National Network um, on the polling data said that only 17% of the people in the United States even understood that we had a thing called a slavery uh, exceptions law. So where we're at right now is in a position of strength, I believe, because even though we lost the popular vote last year, we had 508,000 people vote to say that we don't want to be a slave state, even though we had the confusing language. We had international media. Um, we had um, talk show hosts. Um, the day after we won Vermont, we won Oregon, we won Tennessee, we won Alabama, and Louisiana was left to say that, yeah, we're the only state that wants to keep slavery. And people felt played. Um, my communications director, Laramie Griffin, was livid. He was like, man, why the messaging wasn't right. Um, in all actuality, the system is working kind of the way that they planned it to work. They believed that the people of Louisiana would not understand what we were trying to do, and they can confuse the narrative. Uh, another fun fact is that we had corporations all over the um, United States of America who put their two cents in to basically say that, man, you should vote no on this because ben the Jerry. language is ambiguous. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's was the biggest. I'm like, what the ben hell is Ben and Jerry doing in Louisiana's business now? <laughs> right. But, I mean, look at the Louisiana Black Caucus. Look at the Louisiana Democratic Party. Almost all of the Louisiana clergy, the faith community, the African-American black faith community, and a lot of <laughs> our social justice activists were believing that we were being too ambitious because – now, you, I, I want our listening public to really, really understand that criminal justice reform and abolition are two totally different things, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of the people that were here in Louisiana working towards criminal justice reform were basically feeling like we were um, on their turf. Like, you know, I can't let you have a win like this. This is something that Abraham Lincoln wasn't even – able to accomplish and on a shoestring budget we were able to fight the devil to the 11th hour and had it not been for the activism of black activists we could have removed the slavery exception clause from louisiana in 2022 and i have to be Mm -hmm. very 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 adamant about my disdain for what i'm now calling the nonprofit industrial complex or the nonprofit right. mafia. Like, basically, if you don't tap in, they saying, man, if you don't tap in and let us run this thing, y'all, we're going to fight against y'all. So we're not just fighting against white supremacists. We're fighting against this nonprofit mafia 
or these people who want to make a living off of our suffering. And that just really, really hurts me to my nerves. And it's um, right now, though, if we're not interfered with, because white people can be racist, but they do not want to be called racist. Remember that. It takes a black person to stand up to say the things that white people need to say. And unfortunately, in this day and time, um, the buttered biscuits and the backdoor piece of chicken is now turned into like um, emergency grants to say something negative about whatever white people want to say that is not in their best interest. Because just like Jamila just said, these rural areas could not exist if it weren't for the prisons that um, make hotels happen. Um, if, the, if the guard at the prison loses his job, then he can't go to the local shoe store or whatever. So the economy starts to implode on itself. And we understand that, but that's not our problem. Slavery was wrong 400 years ago, and it's wrong right now. Right. Um, there was a lot of confusion around uh, the bills. For instance, originally it was supposed to be the Freedom Six, but on June 30th, uh, California did a complete about the assistance as opposition of the Democratic Party and the go- uh, governor of California himself. Uh, and it shut down what had gone through every committee with unanimous votes, got to the final hour, and then did everything they could, even using underhanded, dishonest, unethical tactics so that this bill would not pass. Is that correct, Camilla? That is correct. That is correct. Um, we later found out. So what what happened was like like a lot of times, right? The the true narrative was hijacked and twisted, um, and it became a conversation about wages, right? That mm-hmm. we are we are trying to pay um, incarcerated individuals a fair wage, and it came down to a fiscal analysis that we later found out was actually authored by a former California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitations employee. And that report basically said that it was going to cost over, I think it was a billion dollars um, a year. Yeah, if that was was the case. And so, um, you know, people started rallying together, and um, there were a few senators that – pushed really hard and what they decided to do as well you know we are one day away from getting ready to go on a recess so we're just going to drag this out the first night we were in the capitol i was there personally until about 10 o'clock at night um and i was watching they waited 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 waited. (laughs) yeah they waited 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 and then they decided oh we're not bringing the bill to the floor We'll bring it tomorrow morning. Uh, tomorrow morning was the last day of session. Um, went through the same thing, sat, waited, 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 and then I saw the chambers closing. I saw the members walking out, people high-fiving and goodbying each other, getting ready to get on their planes, trains, and automobiles mm-hmm. to return no to their respective districts. There was no vote. So they effectively killed the bill by not even bringing it up for the final vote. And, you know, I want to add that we had been successful in getting through all of our committees. We were at the very end 
stage when uh, this occurred. And so, um, you know, just going to show you the power of the pushback. Yes. The power of the pushback, you know, but we've, we've right. learned so, we've learned so much, you know, um, and uh, this go round, it is really about educating the people, um, you know, because the people of California need to understand that this thing is real, that we have a small handful of legislators that have effectively silenced the voice of every citizen, registered voter, citizen in the state of California. And that is an abuse of power. We cannot allow that. We cannot allow, we cannot continue to allow um, elected officials, we put them in office um, to be able to use their power in such a way that the people don't even get an opportunity to be able to say something. Uh, They don't get to speak out on something of a magnitude of this nature. Like slavery is at the root of every single problem that we have in this country. People just don't want to say it. They call it racism. They call it systemic racism. You know, they call it hatred. They call it bias. Injustice. Uh, In policing, (laughs) implicit bias. No, it's the vestiges of slavery. And then I, they're not right. even vestiges. They're still here today. It's slavery, yeah. It's it is an, on, it's yeah. an ongoing process. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. We, have, uh, we, we found, uh, we found through the ASNN and those that are here with us tonight that controlling the narrative is critical uh, because they will rob your narrative. They will co-op your narrative. Um, I've been in spaces plenty of times where I have to lead with, first of all, I'm not a prison abolitionist. I'm not a criminal justice reformist. I'm not just a prison slavery abolitionist. I am a slavery abolitionist because the Constitution calls it slavery, and that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, you know, So I've had to be real clear with people, and they get those narratives mixed up. Uh, for listeners who haven't heard it, you should listen to go to our archives and check out the Blind Men and the Elephant, where I break all of these various narratives down. But they create this confusion, like in California, saying we're trying to get inmates paid a billion and a half. When they said that crap, they had just announced like a day before that they had a really $100 billion surplus in California. And suddenly you can't afford to pay your slaves anymore. So what if you have to pay a billion and a half? If you had to pay $5 billion, ending slavery is still worth it. And you got plenty, and don't act like you don't. Um, you know, well, and, and if I could jump in real quick, Max, yeah. and you know, with with that with that argument, um, you know, I need people to understand. There's another side to that. Our, our pushback when you talk about the cost, you're talking dollars and cents. I'm talking about human lives. I'm talking about the overall cost. The fact that it would run me you know, upwards of two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars just to be able to go and visit my husband on the weekend. Mm-hmm. In Los Angeles, that's that's flights, that's uh, uh, Airbnb or hotels, that's transportation, that's at least two hundred dollars mm-hmm. per day, food in the visitation room. There's the fifty five percent that they take from whatever money family and friends put on the books. So, for example, for him to go to the store, he could spend two hundred twenty five dollars a month in order to have that. We'd have to put over five hundred and seventy five dollars on there to account for that fifty five percent that they're going to take, so he could still have the two twenty five. You know what I'm saying? Then there were the phone calls, and then let's talk about the human costs, right? The children mm-hmm. not having access to their parents, the the or breakdown providers. in relationships. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The, the psychological impact and effect of putting someone in a cage and treating them in such inhumane manners and wanting them to rehabilitate themselves in a system that's designed to completely destroy them. Like, the, that's the cost. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but before that happens, I want to play another track and take a little music break. Um, like I said, they've been trying to control the narrative. Tomorrow, uh, Curtis Davis and his team from Decarcerate Louisiana and beyond will be out there testifying, hopefully, on behalf of the uh, HB211. But this time last year, there was other testimony, and I want you to hear a little bit about that. And it's going to be followed with Little Wayne's God Bless America. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Our guests today are Jamilia Land and Curtis Davis out of California and Louisiana, leaders in the abolitionist movement and co-directors of state operations. Abolition. Abolition. Thank you, Representative Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Representative Jordan, you're a very skilled legislator. I've learned a lot from you. Uh, I don't know, but 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 I appreciate that. Words but mean not. things. <laughs> but you, sir, this is set up in such a way that I'm afraid, I worry that if someone, if you were to disagree and vote against this bill, it might appear to some that a vote no would be a vote yes for slavery. That's certainly not your intent. That's certainly not, not what would be perceived accurately, would it? No, that's not my intent, you know. Um you know, you know. I tell you what, I'm sure that's not your intent, but I don't know if that wouldn't be the impact about that. And you know, and I'm joking slightly, I but I know. But and I meant that as a compliment. To I you know. You. Right. So, um, I mean, the law, and 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 I, I appreciate where you're going, but you know, this is being billed as an anti-slavery bill. Well, everybody up here, I would hope, is anti-slavery. anti-slavery. Um, my mind's filled with minefields The ashes fall, the wine spills The world stops, drops and rolls It's judgment day off I drill yeah. I pour out my heart, have a drink They say the drunk never lie, they ain't never lie yeah. My country tis of thee Sweet land of kill them all and let them die God bless America, uh, this old God bless America, her tomorrow ain't promised today, the end of time is like an hour away, damn, military minded, lost and can't find it, the stars on the flag are never shining, uh, I saw a butterfly in hell today. Well, I die or go to jail today Cause I live by the sword I'm dying by the sword Her police is looking for me I'ma hide by a bra Shoot the stars in my pocket Bitch it on my rocket I'm wired out the socket But still shocking Everybody wanna tell me what I need You can play a role in my life But not the lead If there's food for thought Then I'm guilty of greed Mama said, take what you want, I took heed, yeah.
girl and she so sweet Got cavities Granted we do it for vanity, not humanity But what's appealing to me is under banana trees, love I go so hard, I tried to pay homage, but I was overcharged, ain't that a bitch? I'm just a nut trying to bust a nut in a nutshell. Used to say fuck the police, now I say fuck jail. Uh, same shit, different air freshener. I don't play, boy, I ain't you have to. Trying to be a step ahead, but a few feet behind. Two fingers to my head, pop, peace of mind. I be in the clouds, cloud number nine And I just fuck the clock and let it come with time It's a cold world, I put on a mink There's a chain of command, I'm the missing link Yeah, God bless America This old God bless America I heard tomorrow ain't promised today And I'm smoking on the flowers Catch the bouquet. And we live by the stone, die by the stone. Her police looking for me. I'm a high block of broad shooting stars in my pocket. Bitchin' on my rocket. I'm wired out the socket. But still shocking everybody. Because I had not even thought about that, what, what that means about whether or not that, that means you can sentence people to hard labor if we remove it. I mean, I, I just, I would really like to hear what their reaction to that is or what their opinion of that is. Um, I would, too. Right. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Constitution, and that was followed up by Little Wayne, or accompanied by Little Wayne. God bless America. And uh, Representative Jordan wouldn't say it, but I'll say it. Yes, if you vote no on this bill, you are voting to you're voting for slavery. You know, and you know, with with uh, Joseph Marino saying, "Oh, I need to hear from the Department of Corrections." Like, Man. let me go talk to the slave master to see how he feels about this. You know, that's in essence what he's saying. But welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas, Yusuf Hassan, our guest this evening. Not even guest. I mean, this is their home away from home. Jamelia Land out of California and 
Curtis Davis of Louisiana. Uh, I'd also like to say, yeah, Louisiana, the remix, 2023 remix. I would definitely like to uh, call out or give a shout out to uh, Representative Edmund Jordan because he, you know, he took a lot of flack behind what happened last year, and we had him on the show. And I know I was very antagonistic towards him because I was very angry that yes, four states ended slavery, and Louisiana did not pretty much at his calling. He, he was the one leading the charge, telling anyone, vote no. So, Curtis, I'll pass it to you. Uh, uh, just uh, your comments on that track, hearing that stuff, what was going down last year, and uh, maybe you can speak on the things that, uh, that you're facing right now that reminisce that situation. First of all, I, I want to... Um... I want to say the same thing you said, going back to the slave masters, um, asking them whether or not we should release slaves or whether or not we should end slavery is something akin to asking the wolf whether or not the sheep should be allowed to um, get off the I mean, get away without the uh, – <laughs> yeah, just let them roam free. Move that shepherd out of the way. I mean, God, I mean, this is a fair country, right? So, but the, the realism um, in what we're dealing with is the fact that the, the Department of Corrections works at the behest of the legislature. They work at the behest of the executive committee. They work at the behest of the judicial system. So we have a, a system in play that people, not even the legislators themselves, are respecting, and they're asking us to respect the system because that is that is a non-starter. What, what, what power does a person in the Department of Corrections have? besides whatever the legislators tell them to do. Um, in Louisiana, right. they've taken civics out of the classrooms. We don't really even understand how a free enterprise government works, how a democratic government is supposed to work, because how can you know something if you're not taught that thing? And when um, we had that particular hearing where Mr. Jordan was faced with those questions from his colleagues, I viewed that as condescending. I I felt actually yeah. I felt sorry for my brother. I, I was mm-hmm. I was enraged at the way they they treated their fellow colleagues, not simply as, as the way that he allowed them to treat him, because that's been a thing that's been happening in the United States for a long time. Our legislators have to know that we support them, and I think that Mr. Jordan didn't feel adequately supported at that time. Um, the, the Louisiana legislative capital is a lonely place, and they have a spirit that's in there that makes you want to have to take a bath or a shower as soon as you leave out. This is a um, wow, a terrible place. Louisiana leads the nation in every negative social indicator. So um, when I say, you know, that the people are the poorest, that the people have the worst quality of life, that we have the highest illiteracy rate, that we have the highest obesity rate, that we were just voted number four for gun violence in the whole United States. We are the eighth most dangerous city of Shreveport is the eighth most dangerous, the seventh city is New Orleans, and the um, ninth city is Baton Rouge, the most violent cities in the United States of America. Three out of the top ten. Yeah, three out of the top ten. 
the taxpayers of Louisiana are not getting a fair return on their investment. And it's a, a, a lot has to do with ignorance, not meaning um, that we're dumb, but that we just don't know any better. So it, it is the job of people like me to be able to stand in the gap, to testify at these hearings, to let people know that these are our public servants, not our public masters. No matter how our history looks or no matter how they've given us this generational trauma that has come from slavery, till the slavery of the past till the modern-day slavery, wondering why our young people are acting the way they are acting. Just like Jamila Land said, this is the root problem. Slavery, right. period, dehumanizing us, making us live on um, our living conditions, have to be set a certain kind of way because it's codified into law. Um, the, even living in our project situations or our government housing situations, those are only extended slave quarters. You understand? And even the people that are working out here right now who feel like I've never been in prison, I've never been impacted, well, in the state of Louisiana, your um, workman compensation laws even extend from this actual acceptance clause in the body of law that you deal with when you're working at Walmart in Louisiana and you slip and fall and you, you, you break your hip or something. It's called the master-servant relationship. It still stems from the slavery laws. So this impacts everybody, and it impacts white people as well. They just think that this is just a black issue. It is a human issue, and people have to, because the next step is we have to make people understand that this is a human rights situation, that the United States of America is in violation of international treaties based on the fact that they have codified slavery. So when we testify at these committees, when we talk to these 9 to 10, um, 11 people that can decide what our future is to be for 4 or 5 million people, we have to talk strong and we have to be 10 souls down and letting them understand that you work for me and I don't have to be dealt with like that and you don't have to deal with my representatives like that. So I'm not going to put this fully on the shoulders of Jordan. I need of so. us to understand that we hold them accountable now and we push hard. If we're going to put him on the front line, they get on the front line with him. I, I want to bring a caller in, give somebody else a chance to join the conversation for a moment. But I did want to say that, again, the narrative is so crucial because, remember, it was uh, CVAL was, uh, said right there at the hearings that this is the most dangerous bill that they'd seen come through that, uh, right. to that station, right? Um, so right. they were effectively saying that Jordan has come in here with this hugely destructive bill which is a solution that has no problem. Um, that's what, effectively what they were saying to him. Like, he just wasted everybody's time. He's going to destroy the whole system while doing it. And that was pretty ridiculous hearing from them, those things. All right, let's go ahead and bring in this caller, 8930. You are on Abolition Today. Your, uh, state your name, question or comment, 8930. You might be Don't on Don't forget mute. to unmute yourself. Hey guys, it's Karen. Sorry. Hey Karen. I have a question. Hi guys, I have a question hey. for both of you, Jamila and um, Curtis. You know, I think that Vermont was able to pass 
our bill because right now the push is restorative justice. And I wanted to know, how do you guys think you guys can use the trend of restorative justice to help push your bills further or maybe help you guys convince um, white folks to be on your I'll let you go first. Um, okay, so that, that's a pretty good question. Um, so, number one, I wanna I wanna piggyback off of you know what my brothers have stated earlier, and just continue to reiterate that um, we are about ending legalized constitutional slavery, right, in all its forms. In some states. Um, it is more uh, predicated upon the, the the slave labor component in the carceral system. Um, but with that, because we're talking about something that is rooted in the carceral system, um, people believe that it is a criminal justice issue. It's not. This is a human rights issue. These are human rights that are being violated. Um, however, a lot of the things that come out of that argument um, can be discussed and looked at through the lens of criminal justice reform. But um, if you just, you know, let's, let's play the semantics game here for a moment. If you just look at the words themselves, criminal, justice, and reform, none of those words fit appropriately with legalized constitutional slavery. And so um, I, I want us to be careful and not um, – not conflate issues um, when we're talking about this um, and be mindful that, you know, this is, in fact, legalized slavery in every form um, and that we cannot reform a system that was designed specifically for the exploitation, decimation, and death of a specific demographic of people. That's right. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, these are... These are, in fact, very egregious forms of, you know, acts against humanity. Like, and, and, and we, cannot, we cannot continue to ignore that. And so, um, you know, slavery within itself um, was not a part of the criminal justice system. It actually is, it began, it is the father of the criminal justice system because we right. became criminalized. We became criminalized, our mere existence. Uh, we were criminalized for being black, and then they built the quote-unquote criminal justice system, which is actually the equivalent of an economic engine, and we became the commodity that was that was used and exploited. And so, you know, again, I just I want to be be very mindful of what we're talking about. Slavery is an economic engine that this country was built upon. And every foundational institution that has come from that is rooted slavery in some form or some fashion, including what we currently call the criminal justice system, which the criminals are black and brown and impoverished white, and there is no justice. It's just us, and there is no reformation for something like that. I want to okay. give uh, the mic to, to you, but Curtis, let me just interject just real quick um, about what happened here in South Carolina, for instance. Their first state prison was built in 1866, only one year after the Emancipation Proclamation and 13th Amendment had been passed. 
Uh, that was not that. That's some quick building, ain't it? They knew what they were going to be doing in advance. On Juneteenth, when General Granger showed up in Texas to inform the last uh, black people who were enslaved that they had been freed, so-called freed, within three months, Texas started using convict leasing. They've been ready. They set this thing up as far back as 1777 with Vermont. Uh, and the first constitution to include these exception clauses. They knows how, how this convict leasing thing works, and they used it. Brother Curtis? They knows. I like your uh, subject-verb agreement right there. But um, <laughs> the question, basically, in my understanding, was that how could we use the restorative justice um, mantra or system um, Framework the momentum, yeah, like the momentum, the momentum, the digs game. I don't believe that we can here in Louisiana because um, restorative justice insinuates, like my sister Jamila said, that they had justice before, right? right. To restore something hmm. means to put it back at a place that, in time in history where it was operable. There has never been a time in the United States of America, let alone Louisiana, where they had a system of balanced justice. So it would, I mean, it would be fun to talk about it, and it would be those feel-good moments that say, hey, we're working to restore justice in the state of Louisiana, a place that they have never had justice, not a single day since they have existed. So what we have to do is go back further than that further than the time that Louisiana existed. And me and my brother Max always talk about the Christian right um, who run the state of Louisiana who um, either are sincere or pretending that they are following the mandates of Jesus Christ, right? So we find out what his idea of justice was and why he even ever came um, to perform his activation or activism. And I think that it's in uh, Matthew, um, no, Luke 4.18. Am I right, Brother Matt? Uh, Yes, I believe it is 4.18. And basically, the Christ said that he came to um, make the blind see the dumb hear, I mean the deaf hear, the dumb speak, and to free the slaves. So the slave has always been enslaved, but he came to free the slave. So in Louisiana, what we have to do is hold the feet to the fire of the people who pretend or actually follow Jesus Christ, and they right now have a supermajority in the House of Louisiana's legislature and the Senate of Louisiana legislature, and I believe that God is real, so I believe that somewhere in here that these people might look at this as a moral opportunity in this age to say, you know what, let's do what Jesus told us to do. Or either uh, stop pretending and let us know y'all the devil for real. It's it's actually uh, Luke 4, 18 through 19. And when they asked uh, why Jesus is here, he told them, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the enslaved free, to proclaim the year 
the Lord's favor. And that was what Jesus came here for. So if you want to be Christ-like, that's how you got to do it. You got to be doing that same damn thing. Um, I got another caller I want to bring in, if you guys don't mind. And after that, I, I think I have a, a track that will be very, very fitting for what we've been talking about. So, uh, mm-hmm. three, two, five, one. Uh, you're on Abolition Today. State your name and question or comment. Hey, Max. It's uh, Sean calling from Maine. How are you guys doing? Hey, Sean. Hey, what's going on, Sean? Um, you guys are doing an excellent job <laughs> um, tonight, as always. I just wanted to make um, a quick comment about um, – What's happening with the movement? It seems like it's um, calling for the, like in the past the immediate and uncompensated um, abolition of slavery. Um, it seems like that's been what's been revived. You know, with talking about reparations. You know, like what happened when slavery wasn't ended is you know it, slavery continued and all the power went back to where you know the white supremacy. You know, so in a way that's how I feel what's happening right now is that we're challenging. You know. Um, Challenging the the perpetuation of that, right? Not, not speaking as close as I had intended, but um, it also seems like it's not just in one state. I know that you know, obviously, it's a national movement, and um, Curtis's book and documentary on slave states seems like we're, we're fighting, we're still fighting a slaveocracy. You know, it's not just one state; it's a national, you know, rule. You know, by the, the slaver class. You know, I don't know if that makes any sense. But that's still how things are, are running out in too many states and almost the whole nation. Does that make any sense? Uh, yeah, we understand you. Uh, thank you, Sean. Did you have a question uh, that you wanted to ask? And I got one more person with their hand up I want to bring it in, bring in two after that. So I guess um, how, or, or how the guests um, kind of view what's happening right now with what's happened historically, you know, calling for the immediate end of slavery. Um, it's familiar. I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Something about the call for the immediate end of slavery. Yeah, if, if um, you see any parallels with what we're doing, what you're doing specifically with um, the historical calls for the immediate end of slavery and uncompensated end of, you know, that the part doesn't get shifted back to where it was. You know, that needs to <laughs> something needs to fundamentally change. Well, I think sense? that's at the heart of yeah. I think that's the heart of what we're doing, right? Is that we understand that fundamentally things have to change, and a big part of that is educating the, the people, not just within our respective states, but within the country, um, about the history of slavery here, and um, you know, continuing to push forward with these pieces of legislation. So, I hope I answered your question. Uh, yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much, Sean. Much appreciated. Got one more question or comment I want to bring in. Uh, let's see, three, two, five, one. Is that you, Sean? Yeah, that's yeah, it was yeah. Sean. Oh, okay. All right. Let me bring in the other person here. Two five eight. Six two five eight. You are on at you're on abolition today with Max Yusuf, uh, Jamelia, and Curtis. Six two five eight. Might be on mute. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Okay. Um, we'll go ahead and keep All it right. moving. I did have, we'll bring you in after the track if you're still up. Um, what I want to play is, I think, part of the problem. You know, history repeats over and over and over again. 
And we've seen now, after the election of Joe Biden, where a redirection of the efforts just appeared suddenly. You know, there was a whole lot of, uh, we're going to do this for black people, we're going to do this for uh, criminal justice, we're going to do this with the, the George Floyd bill, and none of that stuff ever manifested. And they get to decide whether we are free or not. Um, and I want to play Martin Luther King's speech, just part of it, about white moderates and them being the problem. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parkins and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Hey, Abolition. 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 I do my dirt all by my lonely. Hey, find the phony. Pass the mask one deep, yeah, the only. Do or die. Wish luck for the Ruga. Rolling patrolling in the stolen black Ruga. Do my dirt all by my lonely. I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must, must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers the negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you and the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. I had hoped that the white moderate would understand that law and order exist for the purpose of establishing justice, and that when they fail in this purpose, they become the dangerously structured dams that block the flow to social progress. I had hoped that white moderates would understand that the present tension in the South is the necessary phase of the transition from an obnoxious negative peace in which the Negro passively accepted his unjust plight to a substantive and positive peace in which all men will respect the dignity and worth of human personality. I do my dirt up my lonely. Hey, find the phony. Pass the mask one deep, yeah, the only. Do or die. Wish luck for the Ruga. Rolling patrolling in the stolen black Ruga. Do my dirt up my lonely. Abolition. You just heard Martin Luther King Jr., Reverend Martin, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., speaking on white moderates are the problem. And that was accompanied by the instrumental, by Naughty by Nature, Do My Dirt by My Lonely, classic hip-hop right there. 
Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Our guests are Jamelia Land from California and Curtis Davis from Louisiana. Uh, first things first. So uh, the great MLK there, he told us, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. And then it's the other portion there where you have the white martyrs telling we saying you can't tell someone like they have to wait for their justice to come or when is the right time for them. And it reminds me of uh, the episode we had of Femme Fatale Frenemies where the, the uh, professor spoke on uh, white backlash. It was the same concept, and it's always been happening. Anytime we want to speak out to have justice, it's always people saying it's not the right time or you're hurting your own cause. So we hear these types of things all the time. Uh, Sister Jamelia, uh, some feedback that you'd like to give on what you just heard. Yeah, so I'm sorry. I'm walking. I'm, I'm getting in a car right now. Hi, I'm getting on the list, guys. But um, I'm good. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to lie. It's all good. All good. I, my my, my, my uh, feedback is... Uh, you know, just it's the same. It's the same thing. It's just, just going to continue to be the same thing that, you know, historically we have been fighting for this for a very long time. You know, and and to hear the words of our ancestors speaking to things that are relevant that we can still feel today, um, mm-hmm. it just it just continues to empower me to want to continue to push forward to make sure that you know when I close my eyes for the last time to know that I have done all that I possibly could to ensure that my children and their children and their children's children and your grandchildren and so forth and so on are able to live in a country um, that finally lives up to uh, the falsehoods that we have stated, that we can actually become a democratic society that treats everyone with just and fairness and not a corporate capitalist society that continues to put people over profit, that continues to relegate us to the dark corner of where, you know, some lives are more valuable than others. Um, And so that's my two cents on that. Um, Thank you, Jamelia. You know, it's it's been a heck of a night, as always, when we spend time with you. And with Curtis, uh, it's always enlightening uh, because, Nobody's stupid in this group right here. We all know what we're dealing with. You know, we're not part-time abolitionists. We're we're abolitionists today when we're talking to other abolitionists and not abolitionists the next day when we're talking to prison abolitionists or criminal justice reformers so that we change and forget everything that we already knew. Uh, That's not the case. So what I want to do is take uh, a few minutes for each you and um, Curtis for final comments, uh, anything you want people to go visit, like you have the website for California, for instance, um, anything you want to tell the audience, uh, just want to set aside some time for you to be able to do that. So let's start with you, Jamil. Yeah, so thank you for that, Brother Mac. Um, so, you know, I, of course, we could use all the support that we can. This is a Herculean effort. Um, it is estimated to be a 40 to $60 billion ticket on this ballot measure. 
So we are always open for uh, donations. Um, we are also looking for people who are ready to get involved, boots on the ground. Um, so please feel free to visit our website at endslaveryincalifornia.org. That is endslaveryincalifornia.org, where you can learn more about the work that we are doing here in California. Uh, you can also uh, connect with the work that we are doing on the national level at AFNN. Um, yeah, I, you know, I just, my, my final comments are, you know, for everyone who is listening, please educate yourself. You know, for those of for those of us who who believe in in the word, it states that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And and Brother Curtis touched on this a little earlier, but I just want to kind of close out with this, right? Um, we as a collective of human beings are literally physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically dying because of that which we don't know. You know, there are those old sayings, right? What you don't know won't hurt you. That's not true. What you don't know can, in fact, and oftentimes will hurt you. And so, you know, we have to look at what's happening right now. Um, And we are the ones that, because when I say we, I talk about us as individuals who recognize that we are a, a body larger than ourselves, that we belong to a collective. Um, we have to start to empower ourselves and one another by disseminating uh, factual information. There's a reason why we are seeing a pushback on critical race theory and really educating the public on the history of this corporation that we call a country. Um, And so, you know, my my, my final thought is just educate yourself. Um, You know, at, at ASNN, we have a variety of information that is available to you. Please take it share it with your family, friends, neighbor, community, you know, um, have those, those open, honest, hard conversations with your loved ones, educate them on the impact. Um, and then finally, um, I, I also want us to be very cognitive and aware that not only are we talking about dismantling um, a socially constructed hateful entity, we also have to look at the psychological effect that legalized slavery in this country has had on everyone. Um, white supremacy is a socially constructed, psychologically indoctrinated mental health disease that not only affects the people that it was designed to target, it take towards, but more so those that embody the belief systems that they do, that they continue to go out and perpetuate uh, this, level of, uh, this level of hatred. So... Those are my final thoughts and words, and thank you again for having me. Thank you so much, Sister Jamelia. All right, Brother Curtis, uh, for you, anything you want to leave us with? Definitely. I want anybody within um, listening earshot of what I'm about to say to understand that to wage this type of campaign, you have to have resources. I know you all remember Tupac. When he was talking about the situation with uh, Puppy Combs, they was like, don't go to war till you get your money right. Um, in a way, our money is not right. It takes gas to get across the United States. It takes um, money to buy airplane tickets. It takes um, money to get these hotel rooms that we have to stay in. And it's mainly coming out of our pockets now so that if anybody 
that's listening can help out with the Louisiana campaign. We need to, to send any amount, small or large, to um, dollar sign END Slavery LA. That's your cash app, um, your PayPal, or however you want to get it to us. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at curtis.davisii or decarcerate slave state. You can follow us on uh, Facebook at decarcerate Louisiana, Curtis Davis. Um, and before I go, I want to talk about just for a second the relationship that we have between our former slave masters um, and our slave masters' children um, with the contemporary black population. I travel a lot, and I'm often um, in the circles with older white men, older white women um, in their 70s um, that are deans of colleges that I speak at, and they often put me at the table with them, and they will, you know, they like the way that I talk. They like Curtis, man, uh, you have some bright ideas. I mean, can you tell us how you really feel about racism? And my answer is often, I feel like what a young person might feel like that has been continuously molested by his uncle or aunt, and every year we have to sit at this Thanksgiving uh, Christmas dinner table together. Everybody knows that this crime has happened or it's still happening, but we can never talk about it. We can never have the conversation about the pain that has been caused to me, that's being continuously caused to me, and we pretend like it never happened. Like Jamila said, with the ending of critical race theory or even talking about the molestation that happened to me. Think about that child at the Thanksgiving table when Uncle Badman has to sit there and he's like, well, you want me to pass the, um, the, the gravy to me or whatever. But didn't you know last night you stuck in my room, though, and you hurt me? So we can yeah. never talk about that. We have to end that now. So, yeah, that's, that's the trauma that we live through in dealing with these, um, these issues that are traumatizing and they make us come from hard places and do hard things. So with that, remember, cash app, dollar sign, in slavery, L.A. Help us do this work. Peace. Thank you, Brother Curtis. Uh, on behalf of the host, uh, my co-host and myself, I want to say, as always, thank you, too, for being here. Um, wonderful conversations. Uh, and we look forward to uh, working with you continually on this issue. As a matter of fact, tomorrow, well, not tomorrow, you'll be testifying, and then on the 5th, people can come see us, myself, Travel Rain, Jamelia Land, and Curtis Davis at the Capitol Building at 9 a.m. Uh, we'll be doing our press release. I have to make a, a couple of statements, but before I do that, I'm going to squeeze in just a minute. What I believe is uh, Sister Savannah Eldridge, the uh, lead organizer for the Abolish Slavery National Network. Savannah, you're on air with us. I may be wrong. Is that four seven one one? That's me. No, oh, that's okay. Jamelia. No, that's Jamelia. I'm sorry, you were Except, Yeah, very similar telephone was, number. Yeah, very similar telephone number. Okay, awesome. Uh, thank you both. So let me go ahead and uh, just make my closing statements. As I said, come see us out in Louisiana at Bat- in Baton Rouge at the Capitol on May fifth at nine a.m. in the morning. We'll we'll be having a press conference about the bill. Uh, which it will be testified on tomorrow, will either be there to raise hell with Louisiana and call him a damn fool for the second year in a row, 
or celebrate the fact that our bill made it through the first committee. Um, we are will be off air for a couple of weeks. I think uh, Yusuf said he's going to tell you about that, uh, but you should tune in. We'll be playing the speech of Frederick Douglass from 1888. I denounced this so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud uh, for two weeks. So you'll hear the speeches in its entirety. With that being said, thank you, Yusuf. Thank you to our callers and listeners, and we'll see you in three weeks. Yusuf? That's right. Thank you so much, Sister Jamelia, Brother Curtis, uh, Sean for calling in, Sister Corinne for calling in. Happy belated birthday, by the way. Uh, so, birthday. Yeah. Uh, closing comments, or oh, we want to thank our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the Iron Wheel Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SAMA Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash abolition today. And our Facebook page, Abolition Today. For all the news, information, and music you hear on this program, follow us on Twitter. That's at Abolition Today 1. That's the number one. And Abolition Today is available on all major podcast platforms. And also remember it's on Amazon Music. This week's Bridging the Gap will be Frederick Douglass speaking on the aftermath of the 14th and 15th Amendments. This will be narrated by Ozzie Davis, accompanied by a compilation, compilation of tracks by Louisiana native Terrence Blanchard from the movie Harriet Soundtrack. And the tracks you'll hear will be Walking Into Freedom, Broken Contract, O Ye of Little Faith, Walk Like You Have a Right To, our time is near, and that's going to conclude with Christi, uh, Christina Erivo stand up along with Nina Simone answering the question, what is freedom? So the crew will be in Louisiana, if you've already heard, for the press conference on the introduction of HB 211, and then we'll also be in Las Vegas for the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center's annual conference. So for the next two weeks, that's May 7th and May 14th, we'll replay Episodes 5 and 6 from earlier this season, in which Frederick Douglass's famous but unknown speech, delivered on April 16, 1888, entitled, I Denounce the So-Called Emancipation as a Stupendous Fraud. Abolition Today is the only place you'll hear this speech for the first time in its entirety. So we'll be back live. Our next live episode will be on Sunday, May 21st, God willing, and we'll have, at that time, as always, another master class on slavery abolition. So until then, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings to you all. Peace. Abolition, abolition. today. Unlike the movement for the abolition of slavery, the success of the effort for the enfranchisement of the freedmen was not long delayed. In addition to the justice of the measure, it was soon commended by events as a political necessity. As in the case of the abolition of slavery, the white people of the rebellious states have themselves to thank for its adoption. Had they accepted with moderate grace the liberal conditions of peace offered to them and united heartily with the national government in its efforts to reconstruct their shattered institutions instead of sullenly refusing as they did their counsel and their votes to that end, they might have easily defeated the argument based upon the necessity for the measure. 
but their apparent determination to re-enslave the Negro in some new form of slavery made it essential that the freedmen obtain the shield of the ballot box. Consequently, there came in due time the great amendments to the Constitution, the 14th and 15th, which invested colored men with citizenship and the right to vote. The adoption of the 14th and 15th Amendments and their incorporation into the Constitution of the United States caused many of my former associates in the cause of the Negro to believe that their work was finished. Some even cautioned me against demanding too much for the colored people. They reminded me that only a decade ago, Negroes were slaves without any rights, and that in an amazingly short time, they'd been freed and transformed into American citizens and even given the right to vote. But even as they spoke, a new pattern of oppression replacing the old slave system was growing up in the South. The plantation owners, shorn of their source of power by emancipation, devised new methods of reducing the freedman to a state of peonage that would keep him bound hand and foot to the plantation. Terrorist society, such as the Ku Klux Klan, swept down upon Negroes who dared to protest the violation of their rights. Any Negro community which sought to defend its civil liberties soon found its churches and schools a smoking shambles. Soon, as a result of this terror, the constitutional amendments adopted after the Civil War became little better than a mockery of freedom. When I met delegates at Negro conventions who had lived through the horrors of seeing their families massacred, their churches and schools burned to the ground, and their homes left in smoking ruins, I realized the ridiculousness of the contention that my work was over. Constitutional amendments guaranteeing the Negro equality and fair play looked very well in print, I reminded my friends. But law on the statute book and law and the practice of the nation are two very different things and sometimes very opposite things. What were the 14th and 15th Amendments worth to the victims of the Klan terror? What did the ballot mean to men reduced to a state of peonage? At the South, I argued in speech after speech, the Negro dependent upon his enemy for his daily bread cannot long vote or act contrary to the will of those to whom he must necessarily look for food and raiment which he must have. It is a grand thing to have rights secured by constitutional provisions and by legal enactments, but without a public opinion and the government to enforce them, they are a mockery. To be one half freeman and the other half slave, to be a citizen and yet treated as an alien, to be a man and yet not be a man among men may do for monsters, but not for genuine manhood. To those who called for a halt to agitation on the Negro question, I replied, we certainly hope that the time will come when the colored man in America shall cease to require the special efforts to guard these rights and advance their interests as a class. But that time has not yet come and is not even at the door. When the doors of nearly every workshop in the land are closed against the colored race and the highest callings open to them are of a menial character, while a colored gentleman is compelled to walk the streets of our large cities like New York, 
unable to obtain admission to public hotels, while staterooms are refused in our steamboats and berths are refused in our sleeping cars on account of color, and the Negro is a byword and a hissing at every corner, the Negro is not abolished as a degraded caste, nor need his friends shut up shop and cease to make his advancement in the scale of civilized life a special work. Where is he? Come on back, peaceful. Whoa. Easy now. I'm going to be free with God. I've been walking with my face turned to On my shoulder, a bullet in my gun. Oh, I got eyes in the back of my head, just in case I had to run. I do what I can when I can while I can for my while the clouds roll back and the stars fill the night, that's when I'm gonna stand up, take my people with me. Together we are going to a brand new home, far across the river. Can you hear freedom calling, calling me to answer? Gonna keep on keeping on, I can feel it. made it 100 miles to freedom. Would you like to pick a new name to mark your freedom? Harrington.
tell you what freedom is to me. No fear. I mean, really, no fear. Abolition. Abolition. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton.